Welcome to the ATG Podcast, Episode 3. I'm your co-host. I go by the name Irish Springs. I'm joined today by Keegan Smith, my co-host. How's it going? Excellent, thank you. I'm going to be the uh, the chocolate sipper today. Oh, good. I get some uh, new uh, element. You know the stuff that uh, Mark Bell and those guys are yeah. sponsored. Rob, Rob Wolf's stuff. Rob Wolf's done a lot of good stuff in the in the world. And uh, yeah, it's a good drink. I got I got hooked on it when I was over at your place. Actually, it's just like an electrolyte drink. It seems to be pretty huge right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I've got us on a strict sixty minute timer. Let's, let's get into it. Yeah. So it's the zero podcast. So we're going to go over, you know, what body weight drills do we need now? You know, what do we use now? How do we take it forward? Why, why, you know, first let's just look at what we're training for, right? So the ATG system is meant to be a base system of things that we kind of all can benefit from for bulletproofing and athleticism and longevity. Um, what, what about for you in terms of like the, the purpose, what's the purpose of training for me, those would be the big three is like never getting hurt, never being in pain, you know, being able to be athletic and then longevity. Yeah. Those, those are all big. I mean, athleticism was definitely a big part of why I wanted to train, but I'm not going to lie. Like the aesthetic component as well. Like I was a skinny kid and I grew up around rugby players and most of my buddies were like 10, 15 kilos heavier than me. Uh, like I was, I was the skinny dude out of all my, my buddies at school. A lot of them played rugby and stuff. And I was just, I was the runt. So that was definitely a big part of why I wanted to train, like to put on some size and to be more attractive to the opposite sex. Like I yeah. think for a lot of guys, that's, that's one of the factors along with those ones that you mentioned. You have pretty elite aesthetic now and, you do a lot of, you know, body weight training, um, upper body, body weight training can be effective. So let's, so let's break down, you know, in, in 20 to 30 minute sessions, how much can we get done with body weight? Obviously someone could take it much further, right? Like we're trying to get down to such elemental things that, that in 20, 30 minutes that you could have all these factors. And, and, and I would tend to agree, um, my own aesthetic, I think even if someone looks at kind of videos of the last few years, even though I haven't talked about it or really thought about it, I definitely can see like, I'll even see videos and I'll be like, wow, I, you know, I see more aesthetic coming in. I think now I'm turning 30 this month. Like I think over the next 10 years, I think the aesthetic will go a lot further. I actually think it will right now with, you know, zero gravity. So we've got zero. So zeros base body weight, um, Let's, let's just start from the bottom up. So we've got the tibialis raise, um, the tibialis raise, and then getting into like knees over toes, calf raises. These are two pretty huge things, which I never was coached on. I don't know about you, the, the tibialis and the knees over toes, calf raises that sets the foundation from the bottom. Um, you know, what, what do you think about these things? Tibialis and, and soleus essentially. Yeah, so I saw those with Theo Portal at a workshop I went to his in, in Melbourne. And I know they've kind of done the rounds in the gymnastics circles. And I was really into hand balancing there for a while and doing gymnastic bodies. And I've been to like heaps of hand balancing workshops. And uh, I was introduced to the tibs in that context of like kind of injury prevention, but it was just so general and it wasn't really associated with like, I mean, Ido Portal's vibe in general is not towards athleticism, it's towards movement. It's like this concept of like, I don't know. It's, it's very abstract, I guess, where with now with ATG, it's like, no, you, you definitely need to be strong here or you, you're not going to be able to, to jump. Um, you're not going to be able to handle the ground forces. And it's like that concept of it made me actually want to train tips. I never trained tips until I worked with you. Like I, I never, I knew that Charles had the machine there at some stage and it like was roughly mentioned somewhere, but I didn't ask the right questions like you did when you went and saw Charles. I was, you know, I was, I wasn't sure what I was there for, I guess, or, you know, I wasn't as clear about wanting to jump higher. Um, so yeah, the tib work, uh, I think is a, is a huge breakthrough. And I think the slant in, in the, you know, zero gravity is going to take it to another level where people are kind of, not sure if they're really getting enough out of the exercise. And, you know, we love the tip bar and we're always going to be talking about the tip bar, 
but I'm pretty sure people are going to be surprised by how sore they get and how much gains they get on these slant uh, tier raises. And I think it's yeah, very, very specific to the forces that you're going to get when you're stopping as well. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's the thing is um, so many of us have so many pains coming through the foot and ankle and shin and knee that when we're in those pains, obviously then it's just that much harder to train. Like how much easier is it to get the aesthetic want you want when you can sprint and squat and do all these things. And, and I never trained the tibs. They didn't look sexy. Charles trained them from a bodybuilding point of view in terms of publicly. Now he also did them with athletes, but there's no, there's no evidence of him training tibialis with athletes. The only evidence there is that you can find is you can find some calf protocols where the idea was for a bodybuilder. If we can superset, you know, calf and tibialis, well, then we can get more lower leg development. Like decongest the muscle and yeah, create, keep the balance around the joint, the, the structural balance principles. I didn't realize, I thought he must've, I thought you must've spoken to him about that in an athletic context, talking to him about, you know, Dwight Phillips and the jumping and whatnot. Was that not? It, yeah. Nope. Oh, wow. uh, I, yeah, I kind of extrapolated this as a guy with, you know, puny calves. You know, I bought a tip machine for my gym, you know, just, and we would, we so found. you just come at it from the size perspective. Yeah. And it just seemed to make sense to superset yeah. the calf and the tibialis. Like that, that just makes total sense. Calf and tibialis. And so, and so this was, um, this was already something we did in our gym for probably the last five years. So I was already getting a base of it, but we weren't really realizing the importance of it until we kept trying to jump higher and kept, you know, like that was like such a thing at ATG, you, you know, we were doing crazy bounding and all this stuff. And so that's when we started to see the correlations where these freaky dudes who it's like, Oh, this guy's quote unquote weak. Yet he's a freak athlete. It's like, wait a second. He's actually the strongest guy in the gym on the tibialis and shit like that. So the guys who could bound had that did they? And the guys who could jump crazy high yeah, yeah. started noticing an undeniable correlation between how much their body weight is and how strong they are in the tibialis. Now that's what led me then the machines are okay, but they don't get that full like stretch. Like they kind of leave something missing and the, the nature of the angle of it, honestly, I've tried every, I've tried basically every tibialis machine there is none of them hit like free weights. So then we started as a trainer. Oh my gosh. Every day, someone listening to this probably was one of my clients. And you can remember, I have the fastest hands in the world at wrapping up a floss band because I would use the floss band to strap dumbbells to people's feet. Cause for me, it had to be, it had to be universally measurable. A machine's not universally measurable. It has internal weight. You don't really know how much you're doing. So we started using this like crazy and I was rapping hundreds of times a day using the floss band rap. You have to take it on and off every set. I mean, it was brutal. People started making prototypes. Home gym guys came up with the tip bar. Rest is history. As we look back, that device did exist for the last 60 years or so. But in the last 10 years or so, no one has produced it. It didn't training the tibialis didn't catch on just because something doesn't catch on at one time doesn't mean it's not going to, you know, blow up and be successful later. I think it, the dot was never connected between bodybuilding and holy shit, maybe icing and anti-inflammatories is not the solution to my foot pain, ankle impingement, shin splints, patellar tendonitis. So it's, we have this, this whole muscle there. So like as, as crazy as it sounds, this is one of the, the breakthroughs that ATG has brought to the world that I'm most happy with. Like I'd be just as okay if I was the tib guy. No, like no joke. If I was just the tib guy and I just trained like a normal person, but I was able to travel around the world teaching people and making videos and teaching them about tibialis, I'd be, I'd be cool with that. Cause it's that, it's that crucial. The funny thing is Ben, that uh, you know, you'll hear people talk about strength. Isn't that important because this guy can't squat body weight and he can jump through the roof. And what I always think of now is like, you're just measuring the wrong muscles in the wrong way. Like, of course he can't squat much because he doesn't feel comfortable with the weight on his back. Like he's not used to that movement. That's not, that's not the movement. I, I guarantee, like I challenge people with that story to say, you know, to someone who runs a sub 1100, find me as someone who runs a sub 1100 with weak hamstrings. You know, 
find me someone who's dunking off one foot without the heel touching the ground, who doesn't have strong calf, strong tip. Yep. Like if you can find me those people, then yeah, we can throw strength out. We can say, you know, Charles was wrong. Relative strength doesn't matter. You know, there's some magical, mystical nervous system trick that that does it for some people. And, you know, we just need to find that and focus on yep. that. Yep. Strength matters. And if, and you can stick your ass against a wall with zero equipment and do 25 tibialis raises and, and take the muscle to utter failure based on how far you stand. So that's also part of it is that honestly, when we use the machines and like when we'd have to strap people up, like, you know, taking weight on it, it was a bit tedious. Whereas with the tip bar now and the body weight version. So I believe in, you know, body weight 25% of the time, it just gets you a, a different connection. And then same when you put your knees over your toes on a calf raise, now build that up single leg, because we found out that there was also a huge correlation between seated calf raise and certain kinds of athleticism. So again, where you would find like, um, maybe the soccer player who plays like super aggressively and like never gets hurt and shit. And is like, and like you test them on like a running jump and they don't even know how to jump, but they still spring like crazy. And then you find out his seated calf raise is like a hundred pounds stronger than like an average, you know, person with the same body, the same build, the same strength, the same squat, the same dead of hundred pounds stronger in the solid. But again, with the machine, it's not universally measurable with our body weight. It's actually boom. It becomes universally measurable, accessible. You can start. And then that also gets tougher on the slant board. So when it comes to the ground up approach, the slant board simply adds degree of grade. So you get even more stretch out of it, whether it's tibialis or soleus and you, and at the top of the rep, it's tougher. You actually get more into the big toe. So I think that's a, another big disconnect is like the foot and the rest of the body. Again, strength matters. Kadur Ziani, the, my biggest eye-opening moment from a training perspective that I can recall recently, my whole career has basically been built on having moments where I go, Oh my gosh, I suck at blah. And then putting in the work. Right. And when I saw Kadur's feet bend and stuff, I went, Oh my God, I can't even do that with my feet. My feet don't bend. They're weak. I didn't, I didn't. So I've been doing a really good. Oh, I can do all these different odd exercises. My feet were the missing link. So now I've been training barefoot only. And we've been adding the slant board. I mean, shit is changing fast for my feet now. And I'm going to get some zero shoes today. I'm actually going to go out this afternoon. My wife's family gets into town. So I have a, a brief break. So I'm going to run out and get some uh, zero shoes. I don't know what you use for training, but I'm going to, I think. I'm going back to the Vivos, you know, nice. I know you nice. don't like them because they're, they're, uh, they're not cheap, but I, I was buying them before I had much money, you know? Um, yeah. Just, you know, they're, they're pretty, they last quite a while and, uh, yeah, I value that, you know, the wide toes and just the flat. But I mean, I'm sure there's other brands and whatnot. I just like, once I find something that works, I just like. Well, I agree with that now. So I used to kind of disagree with it because of the price, but now I agree with it. But here's why. I think in the first year of ATG training, get some of those Fayway shoes that are 20 bucks because at least there's no heel elevation. Now in yep. the second year of training, get a barefoot shoe. So that's that's my new philosophy. So I'm I'm living the whole second year. And even if someone goes and looks at any of my recent videos they'll be like oh shit he's not wearing shoes he's not wearing shoes so um so first massage with bare feet is like that's no joke to yeah. the massage jumps you've been doing bare feet like yeah that's and i couldn't i couldn't do have that you had any 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 sensation in the plan of no, fascia or anything no there's no foot pain but oh, i would have cringed actually when i used to do different depth jumps and like jumping stuff it was to the point where I thought my feet were like, I thought kind of like, Oh, like it's not necessarily natural for a human body to have that much force. Therefore I feel some ricochet effect in my feet. Right. Like I thought like, well, my feet hurt, but I wasn't, it, I wasn't facing like, it wasn't like, Oh, my feet hurt. Therefore like my feet are the weak link. Then I finally realized, Oh my gosh, actually the feet are the weak link in the chain. Now I'm doing these crazy jumps and there's no, foot sensation or pain at all. And then after I'm looking at it going like, oh my gosh, like I'm jumping like that on bricks, like that would have hurt my feet last year. So I would say if you're a normal person like I was and you've worn your Nike Airs forever, you know what I mean? First year of ATG style, at least remove the heel lift. So get into it. So a Fay weighs like 20 bucks. Second year of training, then start wearing an actual minimal shoe. But again, anything we're doing, we're just trying to lay out a safe 
path. Someone could obviously easily in the first year, I think they could switch to the barefoot shoe. I think for me, when I tried barefoot shoes in the past, I think because I made the switch too fast, my feet hurt a little more, but it's kind of the, it's kind of the same concept as ATG. That's why, that's why we create the, the scale. So I think that's already a pretty good start. If we're talking about from the ground up and we're talking about body weight training, we've covered tibialis, we've covered the whole, you know, lower calf, which really gets neglected. And we've covered the concept of progressing to, you know, a, a minimalist shoe while doing those things. And we've covered the concept of adding the slant board in year two body weight to the tibialis and soleus so that you get even more foot development itself. Um, it's a lot stronger, the, the, the fascial sensation when you're facing into the slant board. You know, so the, the toes are basically, they're on this ramp and you're getting this effect. So you're doing yep. the raise, but you know, you're getting the stretch for those who can see the video, but that's, um, it does bring a different sensation right into the bottom of the foot. There's a, a player on the weekend, actually, um, the rugby in Australia, like tore his plantar fascia. I don't, I don't know to what degree, like it couldn't be a full tear, but it's like a significant injury. And I just, you know, I know that I, I wasn't doing anything that would prepare an athlete for that, like skipping and, and, you know, it was probably the closest thing, a few calf raises, like we just weren't, you know, actually strength, having strength. numbers and having like clear targets with this stuff is like just a game changer. It's not yeah. like, yeah. And, and connecting strength to your feet. And I think, you know, uh, a lot of times I'll see different posts or whatever, and it'll be kind of like, you know, Hey, you've had X problem for years, you know, don't expect it to fix in six weeks or this. I kind of have a different perspective. I think that if you, when you really hit the right method for yourself, I think within a single session, if not maybe two weeks tops, like you actually should get some degree of relief if you really hit it at the right. So I think for the feet, when you really get in there and start doing calf raises, like into the slant board and stuff, I think for someone with foot problems, I think within a couple of weeks, you should notice a difference. Now it's the same as like, you like when I would get someone in person and really get them into like a correct, like reverse out knee pain session or this or that, like within a one session to two weeks, a light bulb should get off. The, it's like, Oh my God, I feel so much better here. Like it, it should indicate. So that's how I'm going to go from, you're not going to go from like zero tissue tolerance to like extreme exactly. tissue tolerance of like being a mad dunker, but exactly. you should be able to feel like, Oh, this is, this yeah. is therapeutic. There's something going on here. Otherwise it's, yeah, there's, there may be something else going on. Like if you're not getting that feeling, like, yeah, I, yeah. I think you're spot on with that. And that's how I feel the slant board is to the plantar fascia with doing calf work. Yeah. I, I've never, I mean, in my life, I've never done calf work on a slant board. What does that mean? That means I've never done strength training that actually connects my feet. You know, so I, I think these are pretty big things and you don't really have to rest because you go right back and forth, tibialis and soleus. So um, let's see where we're at. We've been going 18 minutes on, and we haven't even gotten, you know, to the knee yet. So that's the um, philosophy from the ground up. We, exactly. you know, it, gets, it gets simpler after this, right? Like it's not as right. big a change. This is a huge part of like what's special about zero gravity. Huge. And because you start there and all of a sudden, like the, the things we've named so far already is a game changer for the knees. And now that you can like the, the return on investment and for the rest of your life for the longevity is massive. So now getting up to the knees, I think the body weight concept is absolutely massive for the knees because most people with knee problems are always trying to use an amount of weight that kind of the rest of the body can do that the knee can't quite do. And so that's why the form looks different than the Chinese Olympic weightlifting gold medalist and these kind of things. But you can achieve those forms if you go down to your level. We did, I mean, podcast number one, I said, like, if you just made NBA players get to the point where they could stick their hands behind their back and do a hundred reps, you know, on a slant board, getting cheeks to heels every rep. So I think the main difference between zero, the goal of zero is like pain-free flat ground ATG split squats with the heel up. The goal of zero gravity now gets, oh my God, it's like one of the it's one of the best leg workouts I've had in my entire life. So we're adding the slant board, but it's, but again, you wouldn't even have to have any equipment to do zero gravity because you could totally still do the body weight version. So as we go from the ankle stuff and working the way up, we're now getting into our reverse step up 
into the slant board again. You want to talk about a calf stretch? Imagine standing up. Most people can't stand erect on a slant board because the calves are too tight. Now imagine standing on one leg on a slant board, full calf stretch, and then driving the knee over toe into full soleus stretch and then strengthening back up 25 reps each side. But again, you wouldn't have to have it. You could still do the zero version. So you have the zero version or zero Ben, reps. like, I know you try to make everything like so accessible to everybody because your 12-year-old self may not yet have the paper run or whatever. But the slant board, like you can literally find like a paver or a piece of timber or, or like the, the the slant on the driveway, like where the car goes in, where the gutters, you know, like you can, like you'll find a slant. I, I mean, let's, 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 you know, let's but just zero gravity. If you can't find a slant, zero gravity is, you know, like, I, I know you don't like to say that, but like you could literally almost That's use like- some books or something like it. I'm, it's just so solvable to find a slant of some if kind. Someone, if someone doesn't have a slant, I think we can change your life even more than anything to do with fitness by having you get the self, you know, responsibility to acquire a couple pieces of wood and some traction tape and actually like how far removed have we gotten? Think about how hard it would be to survive a day out in the wild and create shelter and we can't acquire a slant board. So I think we, I think maybe we can help your life even more so um, by just making you get a slant. So, but now here's at that point, I feel like we've gotten so much good work in. I feel like where we progress from the ATG split squat and zero to zero gravity is with the Astrograss lunge. So Pollock, when used to progress from reverse step ups to ATG split squats to ass to grass lunges. But again, there's, there's literally not a video on the internet of Charles coaching someone in ass to grass lunges. Um, I think that's such a lost exercise and the teaching points kind of like with a lot of other exercises, like I'm the first person to say, Hey, when you're dragging a sled backwards, you use an amount of weight that your knee can actually go over your toes rather than just leaning your, your body weight against it. Like the, like every form is measurable. So I'm telling you with an astrograss lunge, most people have never had the mobility in the ankle, the mobility in the hips or the knee, the, the bulletproof knees to do astrograss lunges. Once you can do that, I dare you to go just walk a hundred steps in a row. You could probably add six inches to someone's vertical if they were a shit athlete just off being able to get them where they can walk a hundred steps ass to grass. If I was in prison and I was locked up, so I couldn't even exercise in my cell and they only gave me five minutes of time, my first step out of my cell would be into my first ass to grass lunge. And I would lunge a hundred steps. And by the time I got back from those hundreds, I would go back into my cell and I would maintain a 40 inch vertical because of the hip flexor length, you're pushing through the back toes each rep. That's what keeps the load on the front leg. I'm so excited for people who have put in the work on their split squats to now be able to start over and rebuild with an astrograss lunge for hundred reps. The glutes are going to transform the adductors. Have you tried the astrograss lunge? Um, what, what do you think about that? Yeah. We, we were playing around with them more a while back and yeah, they definitely get a, a serious burn. What I would say is like a lot of people listening to this are going to be like, yeah, Ben bodyweight lunges, like, you know, I'm going to have to have like a hundred kilo barbell on my back. Otherwise, you know, this, this is not going to be enough for me. And we can probably touch on this as a general concept around bodyweight training, but yeah. the execution on this ATG lunge and he actually looking for the work and, and looking to get the most out of the movement rather than how can I make this seem too easy so that I can need more weight. You know, I think yep. that's a key thing with these, these ATG lunges is like, if you really, to make it like super strict in terms of the progression, you know, from the front leg, you know, into the, the travel phase, like yep. there's degrees of how well you can do that. Right. Like you see the NFL players, the wide receivers after they score touchdowns, sometimes they do something along the lines of this kind of movement where it's just crazy strong knees over toes. And they're doing it like to celebrate their, you know, yep. their, their, their big plays. Um, I think, yeah, there's, there's so much to be said for it when you, you know, if you look at it in that way of like, how hard can I work on these? Yep. Perfect timing to cover. I think two massively important points when we think about like, why the hell are we doing bodyweight training? And, and one of them is 
forcing you to rebuild levels that you would never do if you were using weights. So if you're listening to this, I promise you, you have never been into a gym and seen someone do an astrograss lunge. You've probably seen someone do an astrograss squat. You've maybe seen someone do an astrograss split squat if they were doing ATG. You've never seen someone do an astrograss lunge. So the whole idea is that by forcing yourself to go body weight, you're just forcing yourself to rebuild. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong with getting even stronger than that over time. The other side of the coin. So I mentioned there's like two really important things I think about when it comes to like advanced lower body body weight training. So one of them is that we're, we're picking movements where it's actually very advantageous for your gains to start over body weight. And number two, we're picking movements where in themselves, they are cluster sets. What that means is that you may end up doing something that you didn't used to be able to do one time and you may do it a hundred times. So when you are, when you're, let's say you're under a 200 pound squat, a 300 pound squat, let's say, and you do like a half rep and let's say how much actual patellar tendon and quad load that was. Now you put your hands behind your back and you go all the way down on a slant board. You may have just done actually a tougher movement on the quads, but at the top of each rep, you're, you're resting. It's, you see what I mean? So you can theoretically do a hundred reps on something that you didn't used to be able to do one time because you're getting this micro break, micro break, micro break. And it's the same with the astrograss lunge. So you do one leg and then you explode out of that. And now that leg is essentially resting. And now you do the other leg. And now that leg is essentially resting. And now you do the, so you can theoretically get to something that maybe you couldn't do once and then do it a hundred times. Look at your, look at your Nordic for 25 reps. You can pro you can probably do, I definitely know I can, because I used to flop around trying to do the Marty St. Louis. And this past week I did 25 strictly measured reps in the Marty St. Louis on the Nordic. So now we're looking at gravity. Like no wonder we got more athletic. No wonder we got more bulletproof. I can do something 25 times now that I couldn't do once, but it was really 25 single reps. So those, to me, those are like the two big things that we're picking advantageous movements that forces better gains by getting us to rebuild body weight. And then we're doing these micro massive, uh, cluster sets. So why don't you dive into that and, and your own experiences, things you can do now versus then, you know, I think for coaches, if, if you can't get a, a good enough workout for you, like if you're too strong for your body weight, then you're just missing something like you're missing knowledge of how to progress an exercise, how to make something more difficult, like how to play with the leverages, like for a coach there, there's really, I think anything that can be done with weights uh, can be achieved one way or another with, with body weight. Like it's a big statement. And, you know, I love weight training and I have had trouble in the past of like, you know, not doing the weights and, and even my experience with ATG, like I've always wanted to do the weighted stuff I haven't tended to want to put as much time into the, to the stuff. So like I'm guilty of this as, as probably half the people listening to this are going to be like Damn. zero Damn. gravity. Like, no, like I'm just going to keep going with, you know, athlete potential and whatnot. Like, but there is so much to be gained by giving your body that chance to experience those movements. And what Ben's saying, like you can make a VMO hack squat crazy hard. If you, you know, do it hands behind back, and then if you say, look, that's too light for me, Ben, like I'm doing these hundred reps, it's too, go, go, go single leg on a strict VMO back squat, uh, hack squat. Like, I, I don't think anyone can actually do that. Like the leverages are, are so difficult um, that, you know, th there's going to be not like, so the, the point is that it, it's never too easy with, with body weight training. It can always be taken to a point where it's like, yeah, that's, that's too difficult now. Like, and you can see it clearly with upper body, with gymnastics, with progressing yep. to the iron cross and, yep. you know, all of these advanced movements, like we kind of understand that. And Charles had massive respect for upper body, body weight training, gymnastics, etc. Now what I think we're doing is bringing that same respect, you know, to the lower body. And I think, you know, Ido Portal and, um, uh, Roy Gold, you know, you see some of the positions and things that Roy Gold's able to execute. Like those guys have shown that, yeah, there's a there's stuff here in the lower body and parkour as well. You know, there's stuff here in the lower body that is just not getting tapped into by strength and conditioning. And I think that's like that's really exciting to me that 25% of ATG is what can we get to 
without the weights. You know? And here's a quick note for the person who doesn't want to do that, you know, 12 weeks of body weight. Neither do I. So as soon as zero, as soon as the advanced zero comes out, immediately in the app, there's a version with all four programs where you do one week, one week, one week, one. I'm, I'm uh, every attitude that you shouldn't have pushing the ego and <laughs> wanting to jump programs and all this stuff. That's, that's how I am naturally. So that's, awesome. that's why these yeah. workouts end up so fun and, and varied and progressive. And so it'll, it'll have, you know, if you look at my forms on every exercise, I've mastered these forms and the progressions are just slightly different. So if you go from the 100 rep, you know, walking ass to grass lunge to the split squat with dumbbell to bar on back to front, there's no problem with doing that over a four week span. There's absolutely nothing wrong with doing one week, one week, one week, one week. And by the time you come back around, now you've had four weeks of gains with all these nooks and crannies that it's like, holy shit, my body feels lighter. I'm stronger. I'm so, so the body weight being 25% of the time is a direct investment in the weights. That's why I do the body weight to make the weights feel easier, to make the jumps feel easier. And the body weight forces us to become those two things, which we often talk about more built from the ground up and more tendon dominant. So a lot of these movements we're talking about, we're talking about getting elite human bulletproofing of the tendons, which then makes it fun and easy to be able to squat and jump and all these other things, which as long as you're holding back, why might someone hold back when they're running, hold back when they're jumping, not being built from the ground up and the tendons not being able to handle the force that the muscles are producing. So you hold back. So now you're not signaling to your body. So that's why I don't have complicated jump thing. Like if you look in the subject of jump coaches, I can easily argue that I have the top, if not one of the top three to five cases of a jump coach changing their own genetic vertical, but it's not even close how much less complicated the actual jumps are that I do compared to any jump coach in history. That's too much of an outlier to ignore. So what's, what's going on there? Why am I not doing complicated jump drills, complicated jump workouts, but making one of the greatest jump changes in history? Because it never hurts to jump. And now let's look at who are the top jumpers in the world. There are these professional dunkers and high jumpers and this and that, and, and guys who have been jumping and just never broken down yet. So the young Michael Jordan was jumping higher than the older Michael Jordan who did weight training. So the weight training made him less tendon dominant and less built from the ground up. So he wound up with patellar tendonitis and he lost inches on his vertical. It's not debatable. It's right there, like on visual evidence that anyone can measure. He was jumping the highest naturally. So like his natural build by God was the highest jumping that Michael Jordan achieved. So, um, so it's interesting. We think about jump training. We think we're going to need, you know, these complicated things, but in fact, the body weight stage has unlocked so much jumping for people. It's ridiculous. So it's, it's to me, it's like, Ooh, I get to unlock a new layer. I get to unlock a new layer, particularly for the one foot jumping too. Who's the highest one foot jumping dunker of all time. Kadur Ziani. Have you ever seen a video of Kadur lifting weights? Honestly, have you ever seen a video of Kadur with weights? He uses them around his feet. <laughs> with, uh... That's right. That's about all he does with weights is use them from the ground up. But I would say this about Kadur. Because we, we can never just, like this podcast is about body weight, but we're not here saying you only need body weight. No, we're saying we do it 25% of the time. I'm actually the most moderate guy you're going to meet. I would say that my obsession with the tibialis means I apply the most moderation because no one else is doing the tibialis. That's extremist. Extremist is saying we need calves. We don't need tibialis. Even more extremist is saying calves aren't a big part of the vertical jump. Therefore, we don't even need to train the lower legs. So... Does anyone say that? Do people say you don't train the calves? Oh, absolutely. In terms of the culture of all the you need Olympic, Olympic lifts, box squats, calves are only 5%. Well, yeah. In, for yeah. A standing. No, but I, I listened. To, you know exactly what I'm power talking lifting, about. Powerlifting. In powerlifting right. and in strength and conditioning, for sure. Like exactly. calves are often left out of the program. If you but go in, to in the dunking training. world, do they do they train or I guess they say don't even strength train the like best thing about right the best thing about dunking world is when you actually talk to the pro dunkers behind closed doors they're like I don't do any of the fucking workouts that you saw in that pro you know what I mean man I can just jump I don't know why I can just jump 
Um, and then you look at them and they have veins running up and down their lower legs naturally. They haven't messed with that natural design yet. No, but you know what I'm talking about? The culture yeah. of if we just drive up trap bar, deadlift, box squat, you know yeah. what I mean? There's not like, yeah, my point, my point is this about Kadur. My point is that, yes, I'm actually a lot more explosive than Kadur. Kadur probably can't do a squat dunk like I can. I have more muscle size and more explosion and I can jump off one or two, but the guy jumps higher than me off one foot, but I will get there because of applying these tools. So my point is only that he's the best one foot jumper of all time. And he didn't even lift weights. Now, if we want the, if we want the explosive two foot jumping. Yeah. So like in dunking, if you look at like the head to the rim ratio for, uh, for one foot jumping, Kadur is the highest jumper of all time in the sport of high jump. It's Stefan Holm. If you look at how high his head is versus the highest jumps that he was doing, both those guys, insane longevity. And speaking of squat low, jump high, Stefan Holm was the only high jumper who notoriously squatted rock bottom, which makes quote unquote, no sense for high jump, but his tendons were superior to other high jumpers. He was able to compete more often and for longer and without injuries compared to any high jumper in history. He's the iron man of high jump. So how does this sound to you? Five foot 11, winning a gold medal in the high jump with the greatest longevity and high jump history. Hmm. What did he do differently than anyone in high jump history? Cheeks to sneaks, leave a stain on the floor, knees over toes, rock bottom squats, which are, which people have thought, you know, aren't jump specific. So I don't know. Yeah. It was short. Like, and people still want to say like, oh, he's just an outlier. Don't worry about it. Like they're the outliers that we need to study. Like, why would we want to look at some research study of 20 college kids who did something for 12 weeks and then count out like the shortest guy who was able to jump the highest relative to his height for the longest. Like if you want to train like an untrained college male, go yeah. for it. Yeah. I want to train like a gold medalist. I want to train like a world record breaker. I want to train like the greatest longevity outliers in history, not like 20 untrained male college students. Just, just a quick thought on the jumping. Like you say your program's the simplest, but I would say, with having all four plants, like there's so much genius in that. And I think we can see that popping up with guys. Like, you know, you can see Rambeer there putting his, uh, you know, taking his dunks to the new level. Like coaches are talking about their dunks going to a new level. Yep. It's simple, but it's actually, it takes more thinking and it's a new level of logic and philosophy that despite the simplicity, like it's not complex, but no one else, like people aren't saying it. It's not common knowledge in the long jump never, world never or triple jump never, world. Or... Yeah. It's never been broadly taught in basketball. That's for sure. Yeah. So, and yeah. yet the concept is again, extreme approach. Hey guys, I'm going to take this human body. I'm going to make only one leg jump and see what occurs. <laughs> and then I go, and then I've been called an extremist for saying you should practice either leg and try to jump evenly high off either leg. Right. So again, it's actually like a really simple, logical approach. So we're getting pretty far up the body. Now the body weight also makes us get really amazing hip flexors, both in length and strength. And then, as I said, you know, people will be in zero. They'll be like, there's no glute, there's no glute work. Well, factually by getting the deeper you can get into those ATG split squats, the more potential you have for your glutes. The lunges are going to be, the lunges are going to be torn up. With and then single leg the, back. The glutes extension. are going to be torn up with the, with the lunges. Yeah, and, and then single leg back extension, which we're probably going to do like a pulsing style at the top because we already have the pulsing style Jefferson curl at the bottom. We yep. probably need, we might even need like, you know, two bodyweight podcasts. The whole point of this podcast is just to stay on the pulse of ATG to cover the most important things that week. So we've covered, we've already covered a number of breakthroughs for people who want to be bulletproof, find out their true athletic potential and have insane longevity. So coming up to the hips, it's no different. It's just a little more patient approach. And so for those Tuesday, Thursday sessions, that's what I'm playing with so far is, is using pulsing at the bottom of a slam board Jefferson curl, which I got directly from, from you. And then also using pulsing at the top of a back extension, single legged, which I also got from you. That's a really beautiful rebuild while you're doing all the stuff for the feet and the knees and opening up the length of the hamstrings and we have, we're able to use Nordics. I mean, people are, their body is going to be feeling lighter, even though they're building muscle mass. 
I was I was bouncing up the hill a couple of days ago here, Ben. Sark's like 300 meters off the ground. So every time you go down, like I go down for a swim, the water's pretty cold and it's like a 300 meter climb to come back up. And I just started bouncing and it's been a long time since, like I haven't run that much, you know, like it's getting back into ATG, like, or moving to ATG for coaches is like, no, you, you really have to do this ATG stuff properly now. And you need to be able to do this stuff. Like before I was just playing around with it. I was still doing handstands and, you know, lots of different stuff. Like I'll probably still do handstands in the future, but like for now, like I really need to be a student of, of, of ATG and, and be able to do this stuff. I'm, I was bouncing up, you know, stone to stone up, up the hill and just thinking like, can't remember feeling like this before. <laughs> and it's literally like, I was just like, it was like a mystery of like what, what my body feels like. And I think that's, that's, that's what we want. Like, millions you know, like, of dollars. That's how you make millions of dollars as an athlete. Yeah. Yet at the same time, that's how you have priceless moments later in life with your grandkids. And my deadlift's not as big as it's been. And my back squat is not as big as it's been. My tibs are definitely the strongest they've ever been. And uh, you could rebuild your squat and deadlift for, for sure. higher yeah. than they've ever been. If you that's so that's going to happen pain free. These are these are twenty to thirty minute sessions. Yeah. Apply it to apply it to what you want. Twenty to thirty minute sessions. If you decided that you wanted to hit the best squat of your life, not only would you be able to get there, your form would be better and it would be less painful. But my so, hack squats, my hack squats was yeah. so weak, Ben. Like this is like just again like for people thinking about like, do I need this program or should I just continue to focus on my, my barbell numbers? Like I got up to double body weight back squat and this, this slant hack squat, like with the barbell, it's just like, there's no strength. Like I, I tried it when I saw you doing it. I'm like, what am I doing wrong here? Like I must be doing something wrong because my squat is like a little bit bigger than yours was, I think at the time. And you're like pumping out these, you know, barbell behind your back. And I'm like, I can't even move. Like what? <laughs> Best jumping exercise of all time. Best jumping strength exercise because you're just creating knees that can't hurt from jumping. There's got to be, you yeah. know, strength. Yeah. You know. All right. Check this out. Here's a couple highlights that I've had, re you know, recently in the last six weeks because I've been going through this journey now and then rebuilding and then rebuilding. Right. I hit double body weight RDLs, lower back, below parallel, knees behind ankles for six reps, double body weight. I also hit. Not only does double body weight on a deadlift feel lighter than ever. If you saw recently, I end up taking this shit down because people are just honestly not smart enough to apply what they see on social media. So then people are asking me like how many sets and reps when I deadlift double body weight behind my back, not too many people. And if you, do you remember that lift I did about three weeks ago where I did a deadlift, I did a double body weight deadlift, put it back down. And then I stepped over the bar and did a double body weight deadlift behind my back. That thing had to have gotten off the floor in a quarter of a second from bottom to top. If you're doing double body weight deadlift behind your back, jumping that shit off the ground in a quarter of a second, of course, if I wanted to go hit squat and deadlift numbers or new Olympic lift numbers, I could. But I'm not going to be the guy to do that because I have to see what occurs for me with 20 to 30 minute sessions. I've got leg growth in the last year, shoulder development. I now have like some like definition in my back that I didn't used to have. So as we keep coming up here, let's get to the, to the core, to the abs and to the upper body. Because again, with body weight only, what does it force us to do with our abs? You know how many trainers I've taken who like would come to ATG and they like can't hold their body off the ground in an L sit. And they've been doing the most complex core workouts ever. And they can't even lift their own legs with their core. So my philosophy is strengthen your core from the ground up, meaning use your legs as the resistance. Here's why. Here's something Charles told me in person. He said, your six pack, that shit plateaus in like eight weeks your hip flexors have more strength potential. So these were the little clues that I would get that I don't know how the hell he figured this, how he figured those clues out. I don't know why the hip flexors have more strength potential, meaning they can just keep getting stronger and stronger and stronger, whereas the abs tend to plateau. But now with those hip flexors, now what happens when you run and jump? Now you get more shredded core development. You get stronger core because now you don't have this disconnect, this weak link. So whatever the weak link is, is going to break down. So that's another huge part of the body weight phase is that when it comes to training our quote unquote six pack, you're going to get veins in your lower abs, like you, because we're going to do it in a way that's going to build the hip flexors. The size of the hip flexors is the greatest muscular difference size between 
elite sprinters and regular humans. So to me, this I is think that, yeah, I think huge. that would be why he's saying that there's a longer, there's more potential for strength. I would say they have more potential for growth, you know, knowing Charles as well. Like that must be the thing of like the hip flexors can hypertrophy a lot more than the abs, which kind of makes sense that the abs maybe don't get that much, you know, thicker or they're hard to, I don't yeah. know. I'm, I'm guessing, I guess. Again, I just took the clue and yeah, yeah, just take I, I only train my abs from my feet. You know, I haven't found a reason. And it's funny again, cause I'm, I'm asked like every day for like my, my like core, my ab routine, you know what I mean? And my ab routine is just to get your abs strong from the ground up. So, all right. I, I mean, I think those are some good clues right there. If Charles says the hip flexors have greater strength potential, if we know it's the greatest size difference, um, those are some pretty good clues. Who doesn't want to have lighter, faster legs, greater long-term bulletproofing, not to mention now you're not going to get all those tweaks in the groin and the hip flexors and stuff when they're strong enough. So now let's, let's go into the upper body. We've got 14 minutes left. So now what happens in the upper body, which I'm just going to say my last thing, and then I'm going to let you go hardcore in the upper body. How dope is this? who has the most athletic upper bodies in the world? Gymnasts. I mean, they have the most athletic upper bodies in the world and look how they do upper body. So if we want to apply upper body training to make someone run faster, jump higher and be bulletproof in their upper body, again, I feel like the body weight phase is a huge investment. Yeah. And it actually ends up becoming this complex thing of fast and slow movements for the gymnasts, which is really interesting. You know, they've got these isometric holds, but then they've got these really fast movements and they've got movements like the RDL for the biceps where it's fully under stretch. And it's like, is this thing going to snap or is it going to do the work? So I think there is so much in gymnastics that hasn't really made it into the strength training you know, world yet. Um, and, you know, I, I don't have all the answers for this, especially in the context of ATG, you know, we've been going back and forward about, you know, what, what does this look like? The lower body is very comprehensive and there are a lot of movements and there's, you know, there's time for it. The upper body, I would say requires more complexity, like more movements because of the complexity, you know, the shoulder joint, the scapula, you know, you've, you've got more upper body stuff. is smart. The yeah. legs are dumb. So in life, our legs are, are dumb. They're the workhorse. The upper body is the dexterity. So I also learned this from Charles that the upper body needs more intricacy. Just but I, I would say, yeah, I would say Charles, I've been thinking about that as well recently with, cause we've been talking about the feet stuff and I'm thinking that Charles was talking about the quads, the hamstrings, the calves and the tibs but there's a lot going on inside the foot and there's a lot going on in the lateral. And, and I actually think that we, we probably should. I, I think that philosophy is good until you get to that last part or until you run into problems with You're the foot. Right. Cool. Because it's, it's going into agreement with having dumb legs. So you want to have smart legs. Then yeah. We need to get into the detail in the feet. And, and I think Charles would have come to this. You can look at pictures of him and he, he himself was wearing these big Nike airs and, but you know what I mean? Like, um, I think he would have come to these conclusions as well. This is the point of, to me, the point of having a mentor is you're now able to take everything they've gained and now start adding your own fuel and fire. And Charles wasn't 20 years old with a 19 inch vertical. <laughs> he would have come up with a lot if he started where he was. So I think the best thing I did is I didn't go trying to fuck with what he did. I actually took what he did and experienced that while trying to pursue my own goal. So I feel like if someone took this, like we went over, uh, I just think it's so dope. I've been mentioning it a lot recently, but I helped this guy squat a thousand pounds. Like, I think that's so cool because so many, so many times people are reaching out and you know, they just see my body and what I'm doing and I'm doing 20, 30 minute sessions to be bulletproof, elastic, crazy longevity. Like I don't even do like power lifts. So how does it apply to the power lifts? It took a guy from being in pain, knee pain, squatting 875 to sick powerlifting depth. I mean, like easy money, like well below the powerlifting parallel line with 1,006 pounds with no knee pain. He was also barefoot on that lift, which I think is pretty cool. It's just interesting. So, you know, that's what I'm doing now with your upper body stuff. I want to get 
like I want it all. Like I, I want to be the most bulletproof I can be. And I am aware that my shoulders are actually kind of like a weak link in my chain compared to the rest. Now, what have I done? Well, work on restoring full range of motion and work on, like, I actually do have pretty strong, like external rotators and Powell raises. So I never get shoulder pain, no matter what crazy shit I do. But the point is that if I was out in the wild to survive, I would want even more explosion and strength through my, you know, through my upper body. So I'm really excited. And, you know, I'm, we're doing, I'm only doing body weight the next three weeks straight. Then after that, we're cycling these once each week. So like, we're going to keep everyone posted on this. The goal of zero is just a really perfect full range ring row and full range ring pushup. And with the row where you actually can hold that top position, it's just a huge, the short range of those upper back muscles is just a huge missing link. Um, like that's pretty much all we're trying to do in zero. So with these last few minutes, I want to touch on, we know we can go farther with the ring dip with the ring chin. I do think that the bridge and the handstand could give us those thoracic kind of benefits that we know is just a huge deal in modern society. So where do you think that fits in? Do you think that's mandatory for everyone? Do you think it's for certain athletes? I think it needs, I think we do need to have a route there. How, like I've never pursued either of those. How important do you think those fit in with the ring work for the upper body? So just break it down, just close it out. Yep, yep. Five minutes of upper body. Yep. Actually we have eight minutes. We have eight minutes. So just, all right. Yeah. I, I do have, a, I do have a whole so map much. here of like our upper body, but okay. I, I know that, you know, we're going to go back and forward on things. And, you know, usually when I present your program, it's like, so, right. So I'm a fragile, slow motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. I'm fragile. And it's like, I'm telling you, like, I'm your client. I'm starting. I'm fucking fragile. I'm slow. I never really got anywhere because I wasn't a genetic freak. So even when I tried the bench press programs, other people were doing, you know, I got to where I could bench 225 or whatever, you know, how do I now get athleticism, bulletproofing, longevity in my upper body in order of importance, kind of like we just did, like we just finished off like the lower in the core. So in order of importance, you only get to choose one tool at a time. What are you building for me? It's tricky. It's tricky because dip and chin to start like yeah, for sure. Those like, but that's kind of like your squat, you know, that's kind of like your squat and deadlift answer. Like they definitely are your most big bang for your buck. They're going to put size on. And like, I love those movements and they've, they've got so much to offer. Oftentimes people will have issues around their scapula with it, you know, with the, the shoulder stability. So if we're looking at that from a body weight perspective, rather than our external rotations, we yep. might go for like the scap shrugs, like hanging scap shrugs. We might go for scapular pushups. So these are like gymnastic variations that will help to make sure the shoulder girdle is going to actually work correctly to be able to execute those dips chins. You can regress. The I don't even know what those are. So yeah, if you yeah. give me a favor, tomorrow's Friday and I'm filming a beta version of the lower routine. That way everyone can see the lower routine. Like I'm not going to have the commentary. I'm just going to film each one. Yeah, yeah. If you can start like this is live, like there's no pressure on us. You can change this as we go. Yep. Yeah. Film that for me so that next week I can start getting. Yeah. So that, that, that scapular stuff would probably be like the, the first step there. I'm also thinking about having just a single set of uh, wrist extension and flexion uh, in kind of like a, a you know, body weight push-up type, type of deal. Yeah. So maybe we kind of apply that. Is, same. It's sort of come from the ground up. Like if you're going to put your hands on the floor and that's kind of how we start our life. You know, if you, your little man's going to be crawling around, hmm. um, that's you know, that, true. I yeah. didn't think about that. And, and yeah. probably because probably with I haven't never thought about that before really either, but <laughs> the scapular push up, you know, the scapular push up too, in a way it, it's like he's doing them all day. If as soon as he can, yeah. he's doing them. So it's yeah. kind of like a, a, a built from the ground up applied to the upper body. Yeah. I never thought about it that way, but that logic is like exactly Sometimes what it takes someone who doesn't know what you're talking about to, to then put it simply, you've done that for me so many times with like the, with some of the other stuff where it's like, That's so good. Oh That's shit. I've been kind of right around the corner, but not able to see like what I was doing, you know? Yeah, that's, but that's so good there for the upper body. Like an onyx will be able to like hang on your fingers. Like 
kids are able to hang like from a, like they just grip and, you know, so these are like, and kids won't actually want to do chin-ups. They want to hang. They want to play on the monkey bars and whatnot. Like, but I have to like, my seven-year-old can do a couple of chin-ups, but she doesn't really want it. She does the chin-ups for daddy and she likes hanging and she likes like swinging herself upside down and like twisting the rings up and then, you know, but the hang is like, really natural and they love crawling around. They love it when I crawl on the floor and they jump on my back, like I'm a puppy dog and like these kind of play things are are really. And so a lot of people lose their ability to put their hands on the ground. And I think that that is something that we should address inside of uh, zero gravity because a lot of athletes, especially in rugby and whatnot, they'll get that wrist injury and probably in basketball too. And then it just becomes something that inhibits, you know, they're yep. shooting or they're, you know, what, whatever it is because they it got these fragile for years. It can stay yep. with you for years in the wrist. Yeah. So I think, I think we should address those things as well as for sure, build up some crazy strong uh, dips and chins. And then, but that know, makes sense. As- that makes sense. I didn't know what you were talking about at first. I'm like, I thought dip and chin. I thought that was like enough or whatever, but now it makes total sense. You'd be building that on unstable, weak shoulders, unstable, weak wrists, um uh is it worth getting into like working the arm work it seems like it it would be worth getting into some arm work even you know um it it might create a flow it seems like with this it'll create like a really nice flow like i like the idea in the body weight of this sort of cluster style where where you you don't really have to stop you know what i mean because yeah each tool just kind of flows to the next yeah so i've got like uh i've gotten uh a more f- demanding sort of flexibility movement, like the Sefto curl is basically like a, it's kind of like the RDL for the, for the bicep and yeah. the pec. Uh, it, it's, it's a bit like the 45 degree curls, you know, that in the Poliquin system, which I've taken down to be like lying bench curls where you, you really get that strong stretch um, through that, that whole front part, which I think a lot of the, the shoulder issues and even rotator cuff weakness can come from, just being overly restricted in the front. You know, it's the same logic that we see with the tight hip flexors, you know, messing up all the lower body stuff. I think that tight pec and bicep is like messing up so much of, you know, causing so many of the problems where I don't think you've got this issue because you haven't been as much of a bench press monster. So the external rotator work and the the, the PAL has been amazing for you. It's great work, but I think there's a lot of rugby guys out there who had to put on a ton of size, you know, football players, et cetera, or just guys who love the gym. They had to put on a ton of size in the upper body. And then they realize I can't throw anymore, you know, because they've put all this mass in the front here. And even if they do the external rotator on the trap three, it's just all restricted from the front. Yep. They don't get that lovely muscle activation. So that's why Charles was so big on the ART and all that stuff to try to get the length back. But, but I believe it works. I believe we can all do that it through load. That, right. I believe all that stuff works better through load because you're not, you're not going to be opening up range that you can't handle now. So like, I, like, I mean, literally dude, like I can be on a, I was on a podcast on Monday for 90 minutes and then I go out there and I can do a front split better than I have in my life. I used to have to like, to try to get like a picture for Instagram or something, spend like half an hour. And then it's like painful and like, <laughs> There's something very different about not doing any of the invasive stuff at you, but treating every ounce of time you're spending on body as a chance to grow, as a chance to get stronger. So it's just way different that way. There's a different effect on the fascia. And I think you don't just quote unquote, open it up. I think you actually create like real length there, ability to move and strength that your body trusts it to open up and washes away whatever, you know, scar tissue may be there that's trying to hold it stiff. So what I am really excited about is for Tuesday, Thursday, next week, if before that, if you can have a flow that myself, I'm going to have a beta version on the app immediately. So like, like tomorrow, I'm going to try to have like a beta version of zero gravity of like advanced zero on the app and on the site for people to do. So if you can try to get, just shoot three reps of each exercise. So it's like a 10 second video, 10 sec. That way it's like super easy. You can just get out a beta version, no commentary. Like this is an advanced program. We're going to, then we'll one at a time break down. So I would love to be able to go through a flow on Tuesday, Thursday, next week for the upper body. And then together we'll discuss the mobility aspect. I I personally love throwing the mobility on the upper because it's, you can mix it just right in, into a, into a flow. We'll, We'll discuss that separately, but yeah. So I think that's pretty clear, right? Like just a flow, 
three reps of each one with the same ground up concept. Because if you jump into the dip, maybe that hurts. So it's like, well, what do I do? You see what I, so like, as yeah, long as it flows, come first. Yep. right. If it flows and each thing scales, then like anybody, like I could literally put like my mom through it at some level. That's kind of the idea is like, let's yep. get to something that can make you your most epic, but it scales down that anyone can do it. 10 seconds left. What do you got to say? 10 seconds. Nine, that was, that was eight, great, man. I'm, I'm uh, uh, well done on the podcast with uh, London Real. If people haven't checked that out, you should definitely check that out as well. That's uh, Brian Rose has done a lot of good stuff. Go right the- to the end. And you'll see a demonstration that if you apply can, you know, change your life and anyone that you're ever going to train. Keegan, we're crushing it together. Teamwork makes the dream work. I'm super excited for next week's training, building from the ground up at a whole new level and then building the upper body from a ground up. It's possible that by the end of this year, I won't be receiving hate messages for having the body of a 12 year old boy. I mean, all right, I'll leave it at that. (laughs) 